have an issue with the computer actually. So recording may not be as clear, but I'm going to have to use the phone. The keyboard is not as fast. Let's go ahead and turn to our verse 19. Proverbs 19. Better is the poor who walks in integrity when one, than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. God places a high premium on honesty, integrity, not on physical gain or material well, the principle is something that, again, we can take for granted. Being in the Christian faith and hopefully going to a church that these preachers that much, by example and by practice, or maybe in a situation where we really don't have this truth written forth, but the opposite because that's the way people live within the church that we may be used to. Out of dishonesty. I happened to see a quote recently. And uh, maybe you've seen this quote, heard and uh, the quote was, you, along with many, are upset you, along with many, are upset that you have to wear a mask to go to church. Many of you are upset that you have to wear a mask in order to get to church, go to church. The quote continues, but you've been doing that for years. Quite a stinging truth in many cases. The people are concerned were concerned about wearing physical masks to church. And this particular preacher says, But you've been doing that for years anyway. So this is the case when it comes to integrity that it may be that we're part of a crowd or a group really doesn't know what it means, doesn't care to know what it means, but the eyes are on the externals. And the Lord is concerned about the heart. He's always concerned about the heart. And we really need to embrace that and never take for granted. We can never take for granted that our children will understand what it means. And the world that they live in, the world that we provide, unless we're led by the Spirit and we yield to the Spirit ourselves, is a world on good looks and how you can form what people think about you. God said these are all to be trashed. What's important is that we walk in integrity and pass that on to our children. Reinforce in our own hearts that the main business of life is to have integrity before the Lord. That's it. That is part of righteousness. And if we have that, then everything we need will be added to us. We're able to transfer that to 
to the children without taking for granted. Number one, because of the nature of the human heart. in the flesh. Secondly, collective reinforcement that comes from the environment which we grow in this world. It's better to be poor and have integrity than to be rich, than to be perverse in speech, than to be foolish. In all of the Proverbs, God takes great measures to explain exactly what a wise person looks like and exactly what the fool looks like. The twain, as is written by the East and West, the twain shall never make a totally different world. But get wisdom with all you're getting. Whatever you plan to do in life, God says, first and foremost, the principal thing is getting wisdom. Number two, or verse two here, Proverbs 19, also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Knowledge that causes us to pause makes us to think about the direction in which we are taking. To see whether it is wise in the sight of God. But haste makes waste. New Living Translation says, haste makes mistakes. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. You see this played out in our own lives many times, lives of others, that the emotional energy and the desire to succeed, the determination, the positive attitude, the optimist or optimistic perspective. They all may be applauded by the world. God says you need wisdom, you need knowledge, you need understanding. Only God can give that. Understanding comes from the Most High. Even people who don't know God, when they apply the principles of wisdom, <clears throat> the source is Almighty God. They may be able to use certain portions of wisdom. We alluded to this before. And be successful and protected in measure. They won't make it happen, but they will have a measure of success because they embrace some of the principles. Because our overarching desire and decision is to make it to heaven, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we live God's word and follow him, then we get everything else along with that. First and foremost, decision of our lives, provided it is genuine, and as the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 16 and elsewhere, there's a commitment to abide in him, and to deny myself, which goes perfectly well with verse 2 here. I don't trust my emotions. I don't trust what people tell me. I don't trust my own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean 
unto your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, we're all familiar with that, most of us. If not all of us, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct the paths. Three opposite to what the world says. Go with your gut. Go with your inmost feeling. If it feels right, most probably it is right. We need to know that as the Lord spoke of the prophet, the true prophet, in Deuteronomy 18, along with the New Testament also, number one, what that person says, if the person is representing the Lord, will come true. Secondly, that person not only will have success in the foretelling and the foretelling, but it will also lead people closer to the living God to fear Him. Not just give them some fortune telling. Prophecy is not fortune telling. But it's the Holy Spirit uttering through a human voice to draw people to fear the Lord. This is exactly what the prophets did. They came and they spoke and offered them predictions. And they clearly laid out the paths what will happen? John the Baptist told the soldiers that came along with people all over Judea to see what's happening. Who is this man? Why is he different than all the other preachers and the Pharisees and the temple leaders and the lawyers of the Mosaic law? We have many of them, but they all seem to be a dime a dozen. This one stands out. Very odd and peculiar. Very offensive. But let's see what he has to say because everybody's being drawn to him like a magnet. When the soldiers got there, they began to get convicted. They said, what should we do? We want to get in on this. What do we have to do to get in on this deal? John the Baptist said, stop extorting. Stop using your power personal gain. Lord over people and oppressing them. In essence, what he said to the religious leaders and others. He says, you're supposed to hold the law, aren't you? You're supposed to provide direction for the people, but you're thieves, you're crooked. He said, uh, you're a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Do you hear the wrath is coming upon you? Now, who is it that told you to flee from it? In other words, why is there the price of wisdom in the hands of a fool seeing he has no regard, no desire for it? So you heard about it. You're coming here, but do you really want it? Are you really willing to do what it takes to gain life, gain the blessing. Verse 3, Proverbs 19. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Not only at the Lord, but at the Lord's prophets. It's always the case. You see the Old Testament, you see the New Testament. People are angry at the preacher who says, look, as I mentioned yesterday, some people come 
the ministry over the years and because we told them, look, you cannot live together without being married. They became very unsettled. They loved everything else, the miracles, the praise, the worship. And we told them this is against God's will. This is adultery. No matter what excuse is given, you can't function as husband and wife without having the commitment before the Lord legally, lawfully. And they took offense. And by it, clipped away. Anger comes against the message, the messenger, and the one who sent the messenger. The Lord told Moses, stand aside, Moses. I know they're grumbling, complaining, they want to stone you, they want to do all this, but I want you to know something, Moses. It's against me they're doing it. Step aside so I can burn them up in a moment. And he allowed Moses to fall on his face and to see and God relented. He told Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you when they want an earthly king. They want to look like the other nations. Because they reject you, they reject the one who sent you. Me. Lord Jesus said, uh, I don't come just to bear witness of myself. I have the Father to bear witness. He who hath not the Son hath not life. He who hath the Son hath both Father and the Son. We need to be careful when we get angry, disturbed, and annoyed. When we hear a message, make sure that we're not disturbed and annoyed at the Lord Himself. It's a very prevalent thing that happens. And there are various ways in which people manifest that. For some people, they say it right on the face. Listen, you, um, you really offended me, you said. I don't like it. You better change your message from out. Imagine saying that to God. Lord Jesus, I like what you did on the cross and I like all the things you offer, but I really don't like you getting in on my financial matters. I mean, just leave me be. You can tell me to do everything else, but leave my finances alone, Lord Jesus. Lord, I like to go to this place, this club or that place. I like to sit and watch this on TV. I know I heard some things that you disturbed with what's happening with this particular thing I'm watching or staying by. But um, I'm very annoyed at you now, Lord. I'd like you to back away. Leave that to me, please. Many of us would say, that's, that's going to be the craziest thing anybody could do. And that is really foolish. But do you know when you reject the voice of God through the messenger of God, you're doing the same thing, as I mentioned? It behooves us to know what is the voice of God and what is the truth and then make a decision. I will abide by the truth or I will reject the truth. It's as simple as that. But I know what's at stake and also who I'm dealing with. Then uh, hopefully people will make a decision that I have no say in this matter. What matter? Life, period. 
God is the author of life, the Prince of life. And what did the people do to the Prince of life? In Acts chapter 3, they killed him. Couldn't keep him down. He came, rose on the third day. Death could not hold him. But that's what they did with the Prince of life. He came into the world. He was made by the world. He came into his own, but his own rejected him. In our lives, there are things that we'd like to embrace and things that we'd like to reject. When it comes to God, God's counsel. God is looking for true surrender, total surrender. We need to know that Bali is not simply a thing that we understand look foolish completely. We say that's a no-brainer. I mean, I know right off the bat, right away, that that's a foolish thing that person is doing. But can we know that that's the case with things that we're doing before the Lord? Is it true that we are damaging ourselves spiritually, ruining our lives by choices, and then we're angry, annoyed at the Lord? Because truth is not in us. That's only... That's that's when people get angry. The Pharisees got angry at the truth himself. The way the truth and the life was standing right in front of them, giving the direct wisdom from God. What did they want to do? Take stones again. In fact, at one point they said, you know, when you preach that, you were preaching against, did you know that? They said directly to the Lord, did you know when you said this that you're preaching against us? Better be careful. Lord, it may be the case that we need to deflate our ego. We need to step down from that high horse that we've been riding when it comes to everything God says or something. And we want to note the progression Everyone, we must note the progression. When we reject one aspect of God's command, commandment to us, just one thing, that one thing will lead to another thing. And the very person who is enjoying the presence of God can become an outcast of Cain. By and by, the complacency can turn into confusion and then delusion. Then we can become actively leading the pack against God's voice. God himself is inevitable. But when we fear the Lord, the Lord change me. What is it in me that doesn't like to hear what you have to say? What is it in me that is strongly opinionated and doesn't even want to consider whether it could be wrong. I just have a gut feeling about it. We must always remember that we can deceive ourselves by our emotions, even by our gut feelings. Why? Because God has given more than a gut feeling, more than emotions. Even though he's given those two, he says the sure word of prophecy in the book of Peter is the word itself. So, when we go to the Word, we can actually check our gut feeling and our emotions, our opinions, right against the truth. And then reject those things that don't line up with the truth. 
That's a wise person. And that person will not ruin his or her life. Will not be angry at the Lord. Will be humble in harmony. Walking with Wealth makes many friends. Verse 4. Proverbs 19.4. Poverty drives them all away. There are two aspects to this. As we might be able to gather. Quite readily. One is. It's an observation in life. Who would like to be friends with a poor man more than a rich man? Who would like to hang out with people who are always in need? Not only do they not have anything to share, but if we make friends with them, we have to keep on using our resources and they won't do good for themselves. On the other hand, the friend, as it says in the little translation with quotations, it can be a total farce where the wealthy man actually wonders, who is my true friend? Because, again, a dime a dozen, you can get many friends if you have money. But they may actually be enemies waiting for your downfall or how to get your stuff. But they'll be very pleasant, smooth talkers main question in their heart is what's in it for me and if I have to see you topple and fall and I get the gain that you lose hip hip hooray sorry you had to fall but I I benefited that's all that counts that's the type of friend the world will give you verse 5 a false witness will not go unpunished nor will a liar escape. The truth will come out. A person who has eternity in view with the appropriate fear of the Lord will have as his or her greatest aim, objective, to be able to stand before the judgment seat God of Christ know that there came a point in life that the person unlike a rich young ruler truly came and surrendered all to God and said Lord you take my education take my degrees take my money take my car take my house take everything Lord because none of it belongs to me Even my life doesn't belong to me. I was bought at a price, the blood of the Lamb of God. Therefore, I humbled myself, came to a point of decision to say God's word rules in my life, period. Anything and everything that needs to change in my life, all the skeletons in the closet come out. Thorough. That's the wise person that has eternity in mind always. Who knows that there's no escape from that day when all the hidden motivations will be brought to light. Everything. So much so that First Corinthians 3, it says even a person's ministry, they can watch all of it burn down in a moment. The whole thing maybe labored for 67 years, some people. We see these things in the news.
more so than ever now. Long ministry. You can think of two prominent world renowned individuals in evangelical Christianity. Two of them. Long standing ministry. I wonder how much of it will last on Judgment Day. God will expose the true motivation. How much ministry was done to look good? How much of the donations were given to see what kind of benefit will come with the tax write-offs? What was the motivation to do that music for God, the court code? Was it because you like to hear yourself in your fanatic about music and performance the gospel exterior how much it came about because you waited on the Lord fasted and prayed maybe weeks at a time to say Lord do you want me to go here or not rather than what looks convenient and looks like it's going to work and how many people can I get rallied behind me in this even if we're only taking ourselves me, myself, and I, on any venture, especially for the Lord, we need to make sure God told us to do it, or else better leave it alone. But God let people do what they want. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe, who has all the power, lets people do whatever they want, and he lets them do it as long as they want, in many cases. And he lets them deceive themselves, thinking that, well, I can do what I want, and I can do it as long as I want. Therefore, nobody can stop me, and God must be on my side. God's will that matters, and God says, you're not going to find out my will if you reject knowledge and truth and wisdom. Many seek favors from a ruler Everyone is the friend of a person who gives gifts. Again, what kind of friend is it? You can buy people. We know that. But the kind of people a person, quote-unquote, buys are the genuine friends. Because the genuine friend will say, Keep everything to yourself. I'm concerned about your soul. A brother's born with adversity, and there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There are people going to expensive gathering, conventions, and events. You have to be able to buy a plate that costs a thousand dollars a head to be in this ceremony, this event. Everybody that comes there, VIPs, boy, doesn't make them feel great. They're part of the elite club. God looks down from heaven. He may say, these people are the poorest people on the earth. They have holes in their spiritual clothing. They're completely messed up. 
but before each other and dies of the world, tuxedos, bow ties, extravagant dresses, pictures of them all over the place, rubbing elbows and sitting next to prominent people. In the book of Revelation, it says the prominent people went down to hell. Babylon, Babylon. Fallen in one hour? God says very clearly that if your eyes are on money and success, as the world continually preaches, you'll end up like Babylon. Cut down. And in for a rude awakening. But for the believer, we're warned over and over again. Why? As mentioned in the beginning, we can take integrity for granted. We can take these principles from the Proverbs for granted. We can say, I know that. And never live it. And never pass it on to our children. If we'd interview our children or people interview them, we may or may not be surprised at what they say about us as parents. For some, it may be very shocking. I I can't believe they said that I'm a cheat and a crook and I taught them how to be really wise men and not God-fearing. I can't believe they thought I was a hypocrite when I said you need to read the Bible and change your life. Or there may be people who say, well, I knew that all along, I just didn't admit it. We want to be the type that we often say, just in the presence of God, oh Lord, I'm a failure in the eyes of heaven. I sinned against you. I'm like a prodigal with the pigs. My entire values completely wrong and I need to repent. Is it possible that a Christian needs to hear the message? Maybe more urgent in the sight of God, many, many people who go to church need to hear this message of basic repentance. It's better to repent 70 times and finally get it right and say, that's it, I'm done with this. Done with trying to manipulate my way into heaven. Speak, Lord. You said in this list, that's going to be my attitude from now on. What a glorious day. To recommit. Just keep your words to yourself. Many people flatter, they get excited. Again, emotion and emotionalism can be a very dangerous thing, deadly thing. Because people ride on those emotions. They say, if it feels good, it must be right. That's why people come to the Lord and say, well, how can something that feels so right be so wrong? I love him and he loves me, or I love her and she loves me. And we both love the Lord. Higher for the Lord. Boy, you can quote the scriptures. 
and she really has a heart for the Lord. She helps blind people. She does community service and does things for the kids. They both contribute $150,000 every year to help the poor. And to reject God's truth against adultery and fornication. But they're wonderful people. Unfair for God. They reject God's truth on integrity. The taxes. They reject God's truth on 100% surrender to the will of God. A total renunciation of the world and its values. Living separate. No, they want to mingle. They want to be like the church in Odyssea. What's wrong with mingling? As I mentioned, Proverbs 20. What is wrong with a little social drinking? An alcoholic? The word of God says something different. There's no mention about social drinking, really. It's about what you do to yourself. That the wine will mock you, make you appear as a fool to everybody. Sooner or later. Not good. But Pastor Stonesco said it's okay. This Monsignor and that Pope and that evangelical bishop and they all say it's really no business for anyone expect a preacher to tell you what you can drink and what you can't drink. It's none of their business for a preacher to tell you where you can go and where you can't go. What you can watch and what you can't watch, what you can wear, what you can't wear. Now understand this. We can take, take that face value be utterly self-deluded. Okay, well, it feels right, those statements. But after all, aren't you infringing on my conscience when you tell me what to wear and what not to wear? Think about that statement. How do people understand it when a man of God, a woman of God says from the pulpit, in private conversations. You ought to wear that which is pleasing to God and decent. Not in the eyes of the culture, in the eyes of God. You ought to check your motivation for why you wear what you wear also. You ought to see what you watch. As I told a young man, a young couple, some years back for their fifth wedding anniversary, they wanted to see a Blasphemous play in the city that involved the name of God. Utterly blasphemous. And he's a new believer. He was listening well, pretty much up to that point. When I told him very gently, you know, especially on your fifth anniversary, you don't want to become cursed. Why would you want to go see this? Oh, because it's popular, it's funny, and they have great reviews. But do you know how they depict the Lord in their play? The answer I got was from the very new believer years ago. He says, I'm sure you made your mistakes in your life. It's like a little baby, an infant or a toddler. 
telling a, a parent who's been there, done that, or seen that and heard that and wisely avoided that? The answer was, the report was, let me make my mistakes. And I clarified as best I could within the time that I had. I was actually, I believe I was at work or on the way to work. Didn't really have time for this, but because of concern for the soul of this individual before the devil got him and his wife of five years into a trap to lovingly warn. The reply was not good. And I clarified why the play is wrong. Why it's wrong to depict the Lord some blonde-haired actor. There's nothing wrong with blonde hair black hair, brown hair, but it happened to be wearing socks and shorts and a Superman t-shirt and saying that he's Jesus. A blasphemous. And this new believer couldn't see why it's wrong. Thankfully, he decided not to go raw. Such a struggle and such a wise retort in his own eyes. You're trying to keep me from fun? Well, let me point the finger at you. Did you ever do anything wrong? Didn't you learn from it? Some things we don't learn from, we can find it to be fatal. Spiritual empathy. It's wisdom that causes us to stop giving excuses and wise guy rely. Makes us listen and consider where is this going to take me in relationship with the Lord true success is pleasing the living God period that's the definition of success true success but we live in a day and age we're like the people in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. They say we're rich. We can see. We have it all together. And God says you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. I said, that's not us, Lord. No, no, no. We have the gospel. We have ministry. We have things happening. Don't you see, Lord? You didn't look. In our direction, you don't have a clue at the things we're doing. Lord says, I've been looking at it from day one, and I'm telling you what I see. And lest people get annoyed at the Lord and angry and fret against the Lord because of their own foolishness and self-deception, God in His great love and His magnificent mercy, listen. It's the people I love that I come and I warn and I discipline because I love you before. Get with it. Repent. There's always a window of time before the Lord. 
And when the window is closed, that means grace has been taken away. Very unpopular message today. In fact, we consider blasphemous and heresy by many, many people in churches and evangelical leaders. What do you mean grace will be taken away? From believers? It's impossible. That's impossible. I know grace was taken away from people in those days. I mean, would have tried to beat on the ark door if they could, or at least the bottom of the boat. It was too late. The, the door was shut. God himself shut the door. He said, too late. Millions of people drowned and died. Only eight got in. I understand that. I understand Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they all got wiped out. Only three individuals made, out, made it out alive. Lot and his two daughters. The entire population was destroyed. One was destroyed with water, the other one with fire from heaven. It's too late to escape once the fire fell. Literal brimstone. Abraham could see like an oven miles and miles away. God recorded that in Genesis. He had his man, Abraham, his friend. See with his own eyes what happens to people who live as they please and ignore God's warnings. God never acts without warning people. Never. But somebody says, I understand that for the believer, grace can run out. Because the parables were not just for the world. They were given to the disciples. I'm in the parables. You have people who heard the word. And they really expected to get into the wedding feast. But they were shocked. They were shut out. Because the person at the door said, you don't have a wedding garment. You can't come in without the wedding garment. I thought I was eligible all along. You don't understand. There's got to be another way. Can I talk to the secretary? Can I talk to... Can I give somebody some money under the table? There's got to be a way. i got to get in. You don't understand? I've been waiting for this in my life. The answer will be, I never knew you. Depart from me. You love yourself. That work iniquity. Who did James write to? And John write to? And Jude write to? Peter? Paul? The gospel writers. In many cases, you see, these are warnings to those have come and tasted of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 10. And wisdom will cause us to be on the earth. That if many people have deceived the Lord, even the churches, thinking that once they got saved, it's all said and done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You cannot get me out of salvation. You understand. Once I have ticket, I'm in. A person can get a ticket for a flight, not be in, because it chose not to be in. Or they can be in, as I mentioned the other day, the train, 
begin to cause such a ruckus that they have to be thrown out of the train. Is it hard to understand? Why would we think that God can be unjust then? To invite somebody to his house, to give them salvation, and then have to tell them you can live however you want, and embrace whatever theology you want, and you can violate everything I've said that you're in, you see, because once I give my word, I have to become an unjust judge by allowing you to stay because I gave you my word. No, a covenant goes both ways, doesn't it? You do what I say, and I'll do what I promised. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget all His benefits. Forgive all your sins, your iniquities and heals, all your diseases. Marvelous word of God. The very same chapter of grace we see in verse 18. God is looking for faithfulness to his covenant and obedience to his commandments. Verse 17 of Psalm 103 says, But the love of the Lord remains forever as a condition. I don't send conditional love here. The love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Is a condition. His salvation extends to children's children. The condition of those who are faithful to his covenant. Of those who obey his commandments. Somebody says, well, that's the, that's the Old Testament. By now, if we've been hearing the truth from this ministry at least, there are others around, not too many. But we know John 15 what it's all about. You can have a ticket, you can have a part, you can be acted into the vine. If you don't abide in it, it's on you. Those branches will be gathered for the fire. That's what the Lord is himself said, John 15. So where do we get this doctrine that once they don't save, it's from Satan. That's why people can be very careless and think, well, you can't judge me and I can't lose salvation and therefore I can do things and get into delusion and be caught without the wedding garment on that day. Be rejected at the door. What a horrible thing. They say, well, John 15. It is pretty scary. But maybe that was the transition period, you know, between the law and the gospel. After all, Jesus didn't die yet. Right? What about Paul? Well, Paul said, by the Holy Spirit of God, carrying on the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke in the Old Testament as well as in the Gospels. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we'll also live with him. There's a condition, if we die with him, that means die to myself and suffer for the faith. Take it out. Do the right thing, regardless of what it costs you. If it costs your home, your family, 
he does not give up everything he has, including his own life, is worthy of me. Second Timothy 2.12, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. It becomes a little unsettling. But for preachers who will focus on the very first part of Second Timothy 2.12 and spin off a whole sermon and sermon series. Well, if you don't endure with him, I have to tell you, you're not going to get the rule when you get to heaven. No. If you don't endure with him, you won't be in heaven, period. How do we know? Look at the scriptures before and after that the context. You won't live if you don't die with him. You won't live with him. And after this, 12a, we can call it, 12b, 2 Timothy 12b, 212b, says if we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, what did the rejection happen at the door? For so many people who heard the word and had a share in the gospel, but they began to do evil in the sight of God. There's a defection. God says, I don't know you. Why? Because you're doing sin. And I don't know sin. You deny me by your works, your decisions, by trying to be the captain of your own life. I'll deny you when you come to me. Say, Lord, let me in. I want you to be my ruler. No, you didn't want me to rule over you all these years. How come you want that now? You want the benefits without paying the price? Without keeping the word? Yes, he did it all. He gave his blood. But says you've got to walk in obedience. Verse 13, if you're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. How many people over and over and over again have twisted the scripture? People speaking very mouthpiece of the devil. All kinds of preachers. They say, well, it may be true that if we don't die with them, we won't live with them. Whatever that means probably means that we won't reign with them. Uh, it may be true that if we don't endure hardship, we won't get to roll with them. That's probably what it means there. If we deny him, he'll deny us. probably means that we're going to miss a couple of perks here and there, you know. We get to heaven. And therefore, verse 13 means that even when we disobey him and we play the harlot, we become a spiritual whore. That's exactly the word used in the prophets and in Revelation. The city called Jerusalem became a spiritual whore. Is it hard to hear that? God repeatedly says that. Repeatedly warns his people, don't become that. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 13 of 2 Timothy 2. Go to mark these things. So we never get to see or can help others who are deceived. They're heading toward hell, thinking I'm wise because I read the Proverbs. The proverb of the day is like medicine to my soul. I love it. And add some sprinkles on top. Some of the Psalms, my favorite Psalms. I'm on my way to heaven, do some gospel work, dance a little jig here in the name of the Lord, have a glass of beer. What's wrong with that? Watch a little Broadway show. What's wrong with that? Maybe even Go to dinner with people who are living in adultery and idolatry, spiritual idolatry, maybe even physical idolatry, spiritual adultery, physical. Who cares? I'm not called to judge them. I'm here to be Jesus. 
going to show them love. It's the love of God that says, look, deny me, I will deny you. Don't be surprised on that day. Maybe if I listen to the scriptures as they are given, I can warn others and prevent them from going to a priceless eternity. People who think they're fine Christians. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. doesn't mean that he comes to the unfaithful prodigal son. He says, here, let me sit with you, with the pigs, and tell you how much I love you. Embrace you in the mud, wallow in the mire, while you're puking after you indulge in a moral lifestyle. Let me be right there with you and tell you how much I love you, son. No. God is holy. Those who will dwell with him, who shall abide in this holy hill? Psalm 15. One who has hands in a pure heart. That's the only proof that we know that we're in him. First John 3. Read that recently in the evening calls. The one who's righteous belongs to him. Make no mistake about it. One who disobeys God's commandments is of the devil. Expressly stated there. So therefore, verse 13 in 2 Timothy 2 cannot mean anything but this. If we're unfaithful to his covenant, unfaithful to him, he will not be unfaithful in and of his character because he cannot deny himself. He's holy. That's what it means. Not that he's going to be faithful to me when I play the harlot. No, we don't see that at all. That means God changed all of a sudden. All along from Genesis to Malachi. You see God warning through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all these people. Don't end up like the world. Don't play the harlot on me. I will disown you and destroy you. But his mercy comes with a tender voice. Oh, Ephraim. Ephraim, how shall I give you up, my firstborn? My son, I love you. I'm giving you a chance. I know you played the harlot. But I want to tell you, even though it's wrong, even in society, by many people's standards, I'm willing to take you back, provided you repent. That's the ticket. When somebody sits on that ticket, in God's grace, when he says, even though I know you are unfaithful to me, your head is so big, you make your own decisions and want me to bless it. You want to sit at that seat at the head of the board and have me as one of the committee members. I know what you're doing. Don't kill yourself. Repent. I'm the Lord, not you. Wake up. I love you, so I'm trying to wake you up. Persons who says, Lord, I'm so sorry. What a fool I've been. I thought I'd do what I want. I thought I could watch what I want and wear what I want and be with who I want. But I see that you were never my Lord when I did those things. I wanted you as a cheap insurance policy, Lord. You know, I realize you're the Lord of my life. Everything I do must come under your submission, your approval, period. That's what Lord means. That person who takes that way out will gain everlasting life. Under a wonder, how did this man get here? The accuser may say on that day, the devil knows people. Even some believers maybe who didn't know the whole story. But they're rejoicing. Oh, he repented. He repented. He actually became a follower of the Lord Jesus. I know he was doing things according to his own will, contrary to God's will. While he was a deacon, 
while she was a minister. Well, they did charity work. Oh, there are a lot of things wrong. They blatantly disobeyed the Lord in so many things. And I thought for sure, they're not listening to the warnings. They're going to end up in hell. Lo and behold, they're in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. They repented somewhere. Only. That's the only kind of individual you've ever been in heaven. The one who totally repents says, Lord, you're the rule of my life. Wisdom is from you. And your wisdom says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom of God, I came to listen to it one day and I surrendered all. I saw in Proverbs 19.23, Lord, one day on the morning call, the fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security, security, eternal security, protection from harm. We can be so secure in our salvation without a shadow of doubt say, I know I'm born again and I'm making it to heaven. But then I sound boastful. I mean, shouldn't you be like, I hope I make it to heaven? No. Because God told me, he that believes on me has passed from death to life. I have it now. Well, how do you know you can have it later? What if you change your mind? I can tell you I'm not going to change my mind. Well, isn't that presumptuous? No, we can know that we have salvation and will continue with them because we have burned all the bridges back to the old lifestyle. All of it. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We can be so secure in our salvation, knowing that we're in the love of God. How? John 14, 15, 1 John 1, 2, 3. Because I keep his commandments. I will. Because I hate this world. I utterly hate this world. The whole system of it. All the deceptive pleasures and all the con... Things that happen. I don't care if I lose everything. I'm not going to make the mistake of the rich young ruler, be a fool and walk away from eternal life because I want to hold on to my comfortable lifestyle. I will deny myself, take up my cross, and follow the Lord. Lord, my identity is not in my possessions, my degrees. Or how many people love me on this side of eternity? My identity is bound up. Whether I know that the Lord loves me, I also know that He knows that I love Him because I fear Him and I do exactly what He says. I've given up my life to a thorough instruction, a Lord of my life change, rearrange, cut out whatever he wants to so that I can be well pleasing to him. My identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I live by his word. That's my trick. That person is a Christian who never has to worry about falling. Then we read in First Peter, Second Peter 1, 
in different Psalms, all of the Bible. Even here, Second Timothy 2. You can know that you're going to reign with him if you suffer with him. Stand up for the truth. Be willing to forego and lose everything, even your own life, if need be. The truth, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that person that's worthy of him. Everyone else is a con artist, is a hypocrite. But as the writer to the Hebrews says, we're persuaded of better things than these things. We have to speak it because we have to warn those who may be on the fence or getting close to the fence to make sure you stay in the fold. As well as to reassure those who are where they should be by showing clearly what it looks like when you're not where you should be. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is righteous and whoever does righteousness is righteous. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that we can know exactly where we stand with you any given moment of our lives. When we simply obey you, we can know for sure and have the assurance that we have embraced the truth and not rejected it. We're abiding the Lord in the vine. Thank you, Father, for showing us in the scriptures clearly that we can be rejoicing as you commanded us, Lord, always rejoice because we're in the righteous path. We know we have the favor of God. Hallelujah. We can know that His countenance is beaming upon us. The Savior smiles all over our lives because we've embraced Him, rejecting the devil. We've embraced heaven, rejected the world and hell. We've embraced a pure life, a holy life, and embraced all the vomit and ungodly life. We've embraced the true treasure that comes from giving our lives away rather than trying to hoard some of it like Gehazi and have leprosy for life and eternity. Thank you, Lord. The friend of the bridegroom is rejoicing, John the Baptist. Because he's righteous. And he wanted the Lord to be manifest in his life. Oh Lord, help us to disappear in your glorious life on this side of eternity. And Lord, you said to take care of what we need. Oh Father, I thank you Lord. We never have to worry. Never have to worry. Our Father takes good care of us. Our Father feeds the birds of the air. Our Father knows the names. They're written in the book of life. Never to be erased. Never to be blotted out. Because we always do those things that are pleasing to our Father. It will seem this transition, hallelujah, from earth to heaven on that day for those who are actually living with God while on earth. To go to be with God in His presence for eternity. 
Blessed be the rock. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen.